0: Hello, everybody. Thank you all for joining us here at Encounter Church. We are so blessed to have every single one of you here present and those who are connecting online. Thank you all for coming. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Romans 1, 16. Romans 1, 16. It is a pretty popular verse. It was actually uh, like a, a label, if you know, like Lecrae. He uh, he has this music label called 116, and it comes from this passage. Uh, so while you're opening it up, I, I want to thank again every single one of you. Uh, we have been having services every week for now for over, for about a year. Uh, we started back in August having regularly, regular weekly services, um, and we've been doing this for a year. And we're thankful for everyone who has been a part of this movement of an Encounter Church. Um, this, this church started because we saw a need and we still see a need for young people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. Uh, he has brought good news that, and we believe that people need to hear it. And we hear it, yes, through preaching, but also through coming together, through knowing one another, through loving one another, through helping one another. Um, And today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the gospel, which I I hope, you know, this year has been central to what we've been doing. This church started from the gospel and it's it's going to continue uh, through the power of the gospel. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed... Of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone 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 who believes let us all pray heavenly father thank you for being with us thank you for giving us a year lord a year where we were able to meet and grow with one another and lord i pray for the following years that that come lord that that we may continue to focus on the gospel and that we may grow in the gospel and that we may preach the gospel and show the gospel to everyone and that they may know that there is good news, that there is hope, that there is peace that only comes through Jesus Christ, Lord. You have put this inside of, us, inside of our hearts, and I pray that we may be faithful in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's message really comes from my time in seminary when I was learning about different cultures and the book, the 3D Gospel, really inspired me with my thinking on today's sermon. So I hope that all of you have heard the Gospel, hopefully here or somewhere else, the Gospel. It is a, we don't really use that word in our everyday English language. But hopefully, if you've heard good preaching, you've heard that, you know, the gospel consists of you sinning, of you transgressing against God, that you're sinful, that you are separated from God. And because you are separated because of your sins, you are guilty, you deserve God's judgment, you deserve punishment. But Jesus, he died for your sins. He died on your behalf. So if you believe in him, your sins Will be forgiven. This is a, a gospel presentation that we probably all heard, and hopefully you've heard it before. If this is the first time you've heard it, hopefully you believe this, and that if your faith is genuine in this, then, then your sins have been forgiven, and you can enjoy a new life in Christ. However, this gospel presentation is only looking at the gospel through one lens. It is looking through this perspective, which we'll look at, and it's called innocence. Innocence. We're looking at it through this perspective, and we really focus the gospel through the perspective of innocence and guilt. We were guilty of sin, but Jesus made us innocent. This is true, and we need to preach this. We need to preach this to everyone, but this is not the whole pie. There's more to this. If you meet someone in Asia or from a different framework, this innocent guilt presentation of the gospel will not be fully understood. There was this person from, from Asia who believed in the gospel, at least from the perspective of innocent, innocence and guilt. But the, this, this one time, this woman named Gozel, uh, she was returning to the city via taxi, and, and the taxis over there usually has more people than just one passenger. Um, so the, the taxi had a male driver, it had three male passengers, and the men began inviting Gazelle home for tea. The young girl felt uncomfortable and tried to downplay the situation. Halfway through the ride, the the men stopped for a round of vodka shots. They they were intoxicated and the men began to be physically aggressive. It's horrible, horrible stuff. But just, just when they started to become aggressive, Gazelle saw her uncle in an oncoming oncoming car heading in her direction. But instead of jumping into the road and flagging her uncle down, I need help, what Gazelle did, she she did this, she, she hid. She stayed in the car because she didn't want her uncle to see her in that horrible state. Gazelle's primary concern in that moment was, wasn't, I need to avoid danger. Her primary concern in that moment was avoiding shame and maintaining family honor. Not everyone, you know, might understand things how we understand things. We think I'm in danger, I have to do everything to be saved. No, some people think about things differently. Some people think about, am I going to appear embarrassed? shameful. And mind you, Gazelle was a Christian at that time. She was forgiven. But that understanding of forgiveness didn't really speak to her need of being honored. That she's honored regardless of what she did. Just as she was forgiven, she was honored. She was honored despite what others did towards her. Then a few years later, Gazelle's brother died. He was the oldest son, so it brought a lot of pain to the family, losing the firstborn. Gazelle then began to have dreams where spirits that looked like her brother appeared to her. The spirits told Gazelle to go eat from the brother's grave, go eat the dirt from the brother's gravesite to appease the spirits. And she did that again, mind you, she was a Christian. She knew she was forgiven, but she only had part of the pie. She listened to the spirit. She only knew the gospel through one lens, but she didn't know that the gospel also included being honored and I'll try it, it includes honor and it also includes power. She was honored regardless of what, other, what the guys wanted to do to her. She had power regardless of the dreams that she was getting. We as Westerners mainly see things as guilt and, and, and innocence. And, and we have other paradigms at play. But by and large, we, we see things as guilty or innocent. Are you right? Are you wrong? People who, are, who break the law, they are guilty. People seek justice or forgiveness, but but not everyone sees things like this. I know most of us here, we sing a Spanish song, we we are Latinos. And in our culture, shame and honor, they they are pretty important in our culture. Maybe even more important than guilt and innocence. You are shamed for not fulfilling the expectations that your family has over you. There's also a fear power perspective in a lot of Latina cultures, like we're, we're afraid of evil and, and demons, like these, these invisible powers that have been present in the spiritual world. Maybe you have family members who mess, who consult with brujos or witches. For this reason, evidently, they, they have this fear power. They see things through fear and power instead of looking at it as innocent and guilt. So they have this fear power paradigm. Well, the gospel, it answers all of these issues. As it looks at all of these perspectives, look at Paul in the book of Ephesians. Right now, I just want to look at several verses that speaks to the whole picture, everything that we're going through. Ephesians 1.7, in him, we have redemption Through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. So here we have the sense of innocence and guilt. Ephesians 2.5 made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. Dead in transgressions. We were guilty. But now we are saved. We're made innocent. But that's not just it. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. We were orphans, we were shameful, but now we're adopted. We are sons and daughters. We have honor. Ephesians two you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're not a foreigner. You're not a stranger. You are honored. You're part of God's family. Ephesians 1:19 to 21. Here is power. And is an incomparably great power for us. We have power because of the gospel. That power, we, we don't have to deal with demons or other invisible powers because Jesus has given us power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ resides within us. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all the rulers in authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. The one who has forgiven us, adopted us, he has the power and he has given us the power to over all rulers, over all authority, over all power and dominion, over the visible and the invisible world. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We have power. We don't have to be afraid. And in his prayer, we see all the three paradigms, Ephesians 1.18-19. We see innocence, power, and honor. I pray that the eyes of of your heart, Ephesians 1:18 may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably un- great power for us who believe. We have hope, because we have been forgiven. We have a glorious inheritance because we have honor in God's family. We have power because we believe. We have the power to conquer anything and any demon. Sometimes we just focus, okay, we're innocent, we're forgiven. But the gospel, it addresses all of these three perspectives. The gospel is like a multifaceted diamond. There's different ways of looking at it. God wants people in all cultures, and all understanding, understandings, to experience his complete salvation. Here, we primarily just emphasize one perspective, because that's how we understand things. But we can neglect these other perspectives, but we shouldn't. Because even though we don't really live in the honor-shame culture, we still deal with You know, our self-esteem and feeling like we're honored and knowing that God loves us regardless of what our family says. God has made us honorable. We have power to conquer whatever the enemy throws at us. It's essential that we look at every one of these aspects. When we just focus on one, we're essentially putting God in a box. But God, he shouldn't be stuck in a box. He should help us feel honored and feel powerful because that's what he has made us. Gazelle's understanding, the woman that I spoke about earlier, what she understood about salvation was just a Western view of salvation. One-dimensional. Consequently, she, she defaulted when she didn't know that the gospel spoke about power and about honor. She defaulted to cultural practices. She just did what was normal for her. And we, I think we should try to understand these different perspectives better. This culture about innocence is about rules and laws. It's about also like doing things that we know is right personally. It doesn't matter what other people think. We just do what is right. Not all cultures think of this. They don't think about it this way. Some cultures, like the Roman culture, it was shame, honor. They saw things like honor as a good thing. They thought that honor is the good opinion of good people. And they wanted that. They wanted that type of honor. Maybe you remember the tragic bombing, the Boston Marathon bombing back in 2013, well, the media, they were able to find the suspect's uncle. And in one public television, the, the uncle denounced his nephew. He didn't say, like, you were wrong. His main concern, the uncle, he, he shared this. And you could see his concern of shame. You put shame on the entire family. The snar the Sarnov Family. You put shame on the entire Shechen ethnicity, on their entire people. Everyone now puts the shame on the entire ethnicity. He was concerned not so much that this child did wrong, although, or his nephew. He was concerned that he had brought shame to the family. This view was more on shame than guilt. The shame honor societies focus on their group, it's not so individualized. Honor is when other people think well of you and you have harmonious social bonds in the community. Honor comes from relationships. Shame is a negative public rating. The community thinks lowly of you when you are shamed, you are disconnected from the group. You could really hear about the shame honor perspective in the psalmist writings. Psalm 44.13, you have made us a reproach like shame to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. Psalm 44.15, I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame. Like we nowadays, we couldn't care less what other people had to say. But other cultures do and they did, and I'm not saying that there's one right way of seeing things or there's a wrong way of seeing things. I'm saying that there are humans who see things through an honor-shame perspective, and to be honest, most of the Bible sees things through this perspective. It's not; it sees things through honor and shame. In a guilt perspective, in our culture, we say. I made a mistake. In a shame perspective, people say, I am a mistake. Then we have the power, fear power cultures. And in that culture, it's not even about doing the right thing. It doesn't matter if you do the right thing for yourself. It doesn't matter if you do the right thing for others. What matters there is that you're doing what is necessary to appease the spiritual powers. You want to do the right thing so that Nothing bad happens to you in the spiritual realm. So you want to manipulate the spiritual realm. Think of like a shaman or a Caribbean voodoo practitioner, or even a businessman praying to a saint or a Washington politician consulting an astrologer. Fear power cultures Stem from the belief that there are these spirits inhabiting the physical world, and these spirits can be manipulated through magical rituals. With this mentality, you you are always scared. You don't want to scare off a a vibe or a, a spirit. You don't want to offend the powers or the cosmos or even the universe. So to gain power, you, to become aware, you use these amulets. You, you interact with cor- with curses and charms and you, you do incantations, witchcraft, horoscopes, or the evil eye. The moral logic of the fear power cultures says, do something in the seen world so you could control the dark powers of the powers that are unseen to you to protect a vulnerable newborn baby from harm. Parents, they might paint an image on their forehead to ward off spirits, to inflict revenge. An offended person may burn a picture of an enemy, to promote fertility. A couple may visit a holy mountain to pray, to contain a contagious disease. The village elders may sacrifice a bull to appease the gods, to ensure Prosperity. A family may sacrifice food to ancestors at the family altar. To procure lifelong supernatural influence, a person may purposely invite dark beings into their life. The involuntary submission to these spirits promises protection, spiritual provision, and perhaps a respected place in the community as a shaman or somebody who deals with the dark powers. I think everyone, to one degree or another, is influenced by all three of these perspectives. Obviously, one more than the other, innocence and guilt for most of us. And in my experience, that's how I learned the gospel, through the innocent guilt perspective. Uh, And that's how I became convicted and convinced and committed myself to following Jesus And it's a beautiful beautiful way of seeing it. It speaks about how God is holy and just in all of his ways, that he is perfect in righteousness, that sin never enters his holy presence. This righteous God who created the entire world out of nothing, he created humans, placed them in the Garden of Eden, humans rebelled against him. And therefore, they became guilty. Thus, they faced the consequences of physical and spiritual death. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, people are born into a state of sin. Naturally, humans oppose God. Humans can never reach the divine standard of holiness by themselves. But God always gave an opportunity for forgiveness. In Israel... It was with the atoning sacrificial system. That's how they would receive forgiveness. And the sacrificial system foreshadowed the work of Christ. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, became the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of humanity. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life, He was innocent. Having no sin of his own, he became sin. He became guilty. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God. He was essentially our scapegoat. He took our place. He was pierced for our transgressions and bore the consequences of our iniquities. Jesus' death on the cross forgives our trespasses and cancels the record of debt that stands against us. We are no longer guilty in the eyes of God, but when he sees us, he sees the blood of his son, and he sees us as clean, as innocent. Then Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven, and now God is building his church with those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. To become a follower of Jesus, one must recognize and confess the truth of their sins before God as they are moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus reconciles us to God, it's not through our works, it's not through our deeds, it's nothing that we could ever do, but it's through the work of Jesus. Our efforts towards moral perfection, they're, they're in vain. We are saved by grace. Through faith. It is a gift from God. It's not through our deeds, our own merits. Being forgiven of our sins, now we are called to forgive others. When Jesus returns to the earth, God will judge everyone accordingly. And he will judge everyone and punish them accordingly. He will be fair and just. And he will judge everybody according to the sin that they chose to carry. The wicked will be condemned to hell. And the righteous will spend eternity with God in heaven. And with that with that gospel presentation, and hopefully this isn't the first time that you've heard it, but I hope when you hear it, you could say amen and amen to that. We should all believe that. But this isn't just the only narrative. The gospel in another perspective And the honor perspective is this. In the beginning, God existed in eternity in full glory and honor. God is an honorable king. He is a father. He is pure, faithful, and glorious. He is the source of all true honor. To bring him honor... In glory. God created the cosmos and he made humans, crowned them with his image. Humans and God were in partnership, were in honor together to rule over creation. As God's children, Adam and Eve had God's name. They walked in honor, unashamed. But the first humans were disloyal to God. They gave up their own, their honor with God so that they could pursue pursue their own self-earned honor. Their rebellion created shame, so they hid. Adam and Eve brought shame to everyone. God then banished them from his presence to maintain his dignity. Descendants of Adam continued to bring shame. They committed abuse, acts of anger, gossip, Boasting, racism, violence, war. God wanted to restore human honor, so He partnered with Abraham to make His name great, to bless Him with land, a nation, and many children. And Abraham and His family would become God's instrument to bless and honor all nations. And God honored Israel. He desired to partner with them, but Israel would bring repeatedly dishonor to God's name over and over. But then Jesus entered the picture. He was eternally glorious and he was honorable in heaven. We read in Philippians 2, he was equal to God. He was honorable. He was in glory before the foundations of the earth. But then he became a lowly human in order to save people from shame. He healed and ate with people who were social outcasts. Jesus honored them. He restored divine honor. And he taught to welcome all regardless of what society says. Jesus' ministry threatened the earthly honor of established leaders, The earth has a way to say what is honorable and what is not, but Jesus has another way of saying it. So they responded to him, to Jesus, by publicly and violently dishonoring him, by publicly and violently shaming him. Jesus was arrested, stripped, mocked, whipped, spat upon, nailed, and hung naked upon a cross Before all eyes, he was shamed. But through this, Jesus was taking our shame. And he dealt with it. He broke its power. The cross restored God's honor and removed our shame. God publicly approved Jesus' shame-bearing death by resurrecting him to glory. Jesus now sits at God's honorable right hand with a name above all others. Those who commit themselves to follow Jesus have their shame turned to honor. Honor is restored. We don't find honor through social manipulation, by knowing the right people, by doing the right thing. No, because of Jesus, because he took our dishonor, our shame. Now we are honored. The woman in the beginning, she didn't have to worry about the family bringing dishonor, thinking about bringing dishonor, because she was already honored because of Christ. You are part of God's family, a family where there is no way to be shamed. At least you shouldn't be shamed at all, because Jesus has made you, has honored you, has made you honorable. You are part of a family that transcends social norms, ethnicity, reputation, and religious purity. No one is better than anyone else. As one writer said, God exchanges our old status as unclean, worthless, and inferior orphans for the status of pure, worthy, and honorable children. Those who follow Christ to the cross of shame will also follow him into resurrection glory. Being welcomed into God's family allows people to welcome and accept other groups. Christians are able to honor others and glorify God since they possess God's eternal honor and empowering spirit. Upon Jesus' return, unbelievers will be stripped of all worldly honors. They thought that they were honored in a worldly standard but they will be stripped and banished to everlasting shame. While believers, we will receive crowns of eternal honor as God's glory fills all creation. Now, this perspective should sound very familiar because it is very connected to the kingdom theme. It's connected to the culture of scripture, which is predominantly honor-shame. But the last one for today, and there's even other perspectives that we could look like, like lost and found, clean and unclean. But these are the three that we're focusing on today. The last one is power. So, how does the story of the Bible talk about fear of power? And this is the last one, and, and then we will end. In the beginning, the Creator God made the world just by saying the words. His words have so much power. That everything that is was made through the words. He spoke and it was. God is in control over everything in creation. There is nothing that he has no power over. Over the heavens and over the earth. In love, he rules with absolute authority and power. Creation praises his might and his strength. God established this world as his kingdom and he set Adam to reign over it. God shared his power with Adam, with humans. Adam was to walk with authority over the world. But at some point, this this adversary, this serpent came to the picture. The serpent planned to lead a rebellion against this powerful God. He persuaded the first humans to to give up their powers and join with Satan, with the serpent, with the adversary. Adam was supposed to use God's power to subdue everything, to put everything under its authority. But instead, it decided to go under the authority of the serpent. The serpent became their ruler. He became the new prince. And humans are now born into his kingdom. One writer said, Sin, spiritual attack, and idolatry, they, they enslave human souls to dark forces. God used the nation of Israel to defeat the enemies over and over. They defeated the Egyptians and their gods. They were free. God gave the Israelites victory over battles when they relied on him. Sadly, shortly after and repeatedly, Israel would ally itself with the gods of Canaan and the rulers of larger nations because they thought that they needed to partner with those spirits to bring them power. The prophets of Israel would tell them over and over, return to the true source of power, return to God. God's liberating power. It became flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus brought the power of God. He resisted Satan's offer of co-rulership. He didn't submit or succumb or become under the authority of Satan. Instead, he denied him and resisted him. Jesus demonstrated what it really meant for a human to rely on God's power. Jesus helped people, a lot of people, by... Freeing them from demon possession. He delivered people who were captive by Satan. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, and casted out demons. Jesus used this power to save all those who are under the power of the devil. On the cross, the evil powers thought that they had won, they had killed God's Son. But in reality, Jesus Christ. On that cross, it was actually a death blow to the evil forces because on that cross, he was taking all of evil to the grave. The cross disarmed the powers and authorities and publicly triumphed over them. And to top it off, Jesus rose from the dead. Death had no power over him, the evil powers had no power. Over Jesus. Jesus has dominion over the living and the dead. Believers continue to experience his liberating power. They are transferred from the kingdom of Satan, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God raises up Christ in seats in heavenly seats, and he raises us up with him. So that we too have power and dominion all over authorities. We don't need to consult all of these other means to manipulate the dark world. Jesus' power is enough. We are co-heirs with Christ. We now have power over Satan, over any demon, over any evil spirit. We don't need black magic. We don't need white magic. We don't need any type of magic. God's spirit is enough. And as we close, let's understand this. Sin is a big deal. It makes us guilty. It creates fear. It creates shame. Our shortcomings, our downfalls, they they are a problem. And we could try to solve it by ourselves, deal with the pain, with the guilt, with the, with the shame, with the fear through our own merits. Or we could see what God has done. The God of the Bible, he desires to make us innocent. He desires to make, give us honor. He desires to make us powerful. We need to live out this gospel life. And if you haven't started, I encourage you to believe and and dive deeper in the word and, and remind yourself, God has given me power. God has made me innocent. God has given me honor. Take the time today to pray about it. God, I believe that Jesus has made me honorable. That Jesus has made me innocent. And if you have already stepped to this gospel life, it's not just the beginning, it's the entire Christian life, then walk as an innocent person, person as a person with honor, as a person with power. I want to end with Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 18, 19, and I encourage you to close your eyes and listen to the words as I pray his prayer that he prayed over the Ephesians. Let's pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. I pray that you may know the riches of God's glorious inheritance. You are part of God's family. And I pray that you would know his great and incomparable power for all of you who believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.